0: Hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Healthy Girl Podcast. Can't wait to be talking to you again because this week we're talking about gut health, which is one of my favorite topics to talk about. And I know I get so many questions on my Instagram about gut health in particular. So I have a really special guest that's coming on today who is the gut health expert in the space and specifically the gut health expert when it comes to plant-based eating. And so I'm going to get back to that in a second and and talk about our guest. But first, I just want to say I went to my sister-in-law's wedding this weekend in Orlando and I had the best time. It was so much fun if you follow along on my Instagram and were watching my stories, you got to see some of the pictures and videos from her wedding. It was such a special weekend. I'm obsessed with weddings and I love love and it's just so emotional, especially, you know, when it's someone close to you and I'm really close with my sister-in-law. It was so special to see her get married to her soulmate and just to watch that and be a part of it was just so special and i'm glad to be back home though i think it's really hard to like get back into your routine after you travel but i did my best we when we got to orlando we first went to whole foods to get snacks and all kinds of things to keep in our hotel room i'm going to actually do a solo episode all about how to stay healthy while traveling but just like one tip for now is like the second you get to a hotel Try to go to a grocery store somewhere nearby and just to keep healthy snacks in your room so that you're not like uh, hungry and you're not like looking for unhealthy junk because you don't have access to anything healthy. Just make sure you have healthy snacks in your room or if you don't like want to go grocery shopping when you first get to your destination bring if you're going on a road trip i would suggest bringing healthy snacks in the car that you can keep in your hotel room so go to the grocery store beforehand beforehand and prepare to keep healthy snacks in your hotel it's a total game changer anyway let's get to today's episode in today's episode we dive deep into gut health including what foods you should be eating for gut health like what to keep in your grocery Cart, like when you go to the grocery store, what exactly you need to be buying to optimize your gut health, how to combat bloating. I know that's a really big question. How to prevent constipation, the supplement you need to be taking to get you pooping regularly. And just uh, saying it now, a little FYI, we're going to be talking a lot about poop in this episode. So get ready for it. We dive deep into that the truth about fiber and how much you really need every single day, um, what your poop should look like, and so much more. So today's guest is Dr. Will Bolsowitz, aka Dr. B. He's a plant-based gastroenterologist and gut health expert. He's also a New York Times bestselling author of the book Fiber Fueled. I promise like you've seen this book. It's everywhere. And he has a new book that just came out, which is the Fiber Fueled Cookbook, which actually has recipes to optimize your gut health. They're all plant based. I have the book. It's incredible. The recipes are amazing and all all designed and created for great gut health. Every day, Dr. B helps his patients and members of his community bounce back from restrictive and overhyped diets and into a whole new way of living and eating that produces the results they really want permanently. At the core of his philosophy, though, he really calls it lifestyle medicine, and he uses food and exercise and other lifestyle factors to help optimize people's gut health and to get everyone back in control of their health. Uh, through his upcoming book and free tools, Dr. B breaks it all down for you, piece by digestible piece, so you can take the simple steps that will help you create incredible shifts in your digestion, your symptoms, and your life. Okay, so without wasting any more time, let's get into the episode. Hello, Dr. Will. Welcome to the Healthy Girl Podcast.
1: Oh, thank you, Danielle. It's a, it's a, a pleasure to be here with you. I'm excited.
0: I'm excited too. We already were like talking so much before we started this. Um, I just wanted to press record so that we didn't miss out on any of the juicy stuff. So thank you for coming on. I'm so excited to talk all things gut health and well, two of my favorite things, gut health and plant-based eating all at the same time. (laughs) So I just want to dive right in and ask you, when and why did you decide to become a gastroenterologist
1: (laughs) people are very uh why would you of all the choices that you had in medicine why would you become a poop doctor (laughs) and when i met my mother-in-law for the first time i had to overcome the skepticism of like is my daughter really going to date a proctologist like of all the things of all the people that my daughter could date um but you know i won her over eventually and hopefully i can went over the the listeners here today. Uh, So I actually thought I was going to be a pediatrician. And I went into medical school. You know, people I'm sure are familiar with like how long it takes to uh, become a doctor. But just to kind of quantify this, I started medical school in 2002. And I didn't finish my training until 2014. So
0: it's a long time.
1: It's a long time. And Um, I thought when I was a teenager that I was going to be a pediatrician. I just, I love kids. Uh, And I always felt like there's this opportunity to make an impact in people's lives when they're teenagers. So, but when I went to medical school, I discovered that the parents of these kids drove me crazy. And so with full respect, but like they're either too much and it's like, okay, yo, I need a little breathing room or they just don't care, which is really sad. And so I was looking for something else. And what I found was that gastroenterology, the career that I chose, it allowed me to sort of strike a balance between being a medical doctor where my job is to use my mind to sort of like unpack complex health issues, peel apart the layers and create solutions. And alternatively, like I get to use my hands as a gastroenterologist and perform procedures. And that's about half of the time that I do. So these are the things that motivated me now. Like the year that I made this decision was 2005. We knew nothing about gut health. Gut health was not on my radar. I had no intent of being a gut health doctor. I just found a love for the digestive system. And I spent, you know, basically from 2005 to 2014, nine years pursuing this goal so that I could come out and be a great gastroenterologist. That's what I wanted to do.
0: And then when did your personal health journey kind of come into play? Like, were you always healthy? Did you have kind of this transformation?
1: Well, I mean, I was... uh, I was skinny and didn't have any health-related issues as a kid. And I thought I could get away with stuff because of that. And I enjoyed unhealthy food. I'm like, you know, the master of grilling hot dogs. And um, as I moved through my 20s into my early 30s, I was on this you know, hyper rigorous medical track where I was working six days a week, minimum of 12 hours a day, uh, many times 15 or 18 hours, and sometimes 30 hours straight. And in that place where like literally I didn't have time to do my own laundry, I prioritized convenience. And the reality is that junk food and fast food fit so well in my life. They were quick. They were convenient. They tasted good. They didn't cost a lot. I didn't have any money. And the issue that I never really anticipated is that the price that I was paying for that food was on the back end with my health. And I was in my early thirties and it feels like I woke up during My, um, chief resident, I was the chief medical resident at Northwestern in Chicago. And I feel like I'm like waking up one day and I'm looking in the mirror at this man in Chicago. And it's like, who is this guy? That's not me. That's not the version of me that I remember. I was an athlete in high school. I played three sports. Who's this man with a gut sagging over his belt with the blood pressure pills sitting on the sink? With high cholesterol with high anxiety with very low self-esteem it didn't matter what was happening in my life a lot of great things were happening in my life but i didn't feel those things i didn't find pleasure and frankly danielle i just wanted to curl up under a blanket in a dark room by myself and be left alone that's where i was and i knew something was wrong and it needed to be fixed but i didn't know how to do it the pills and the procedures that I was trained to use as a medical doctor were not going to fix my own problems. So I turned to exercise. Like, I'm in my early 30s. Let me just smash workouts every day. And that then I can eat whatever I want. And it failed. It did not work. Um, I did grow stronger. I was faster. But I did not lose the gut. And my life changed when I met the person who, ironically, 10 years later is my wife. And we have three kids together. We have a newborn. You and I were just talking about this offline, but we have a newborn baby girl at home. I would have never foreseen this happening. We were just on a first date. And we're in, at this point in my life, I'm in North Carolina for my GI fellowship. And we're in Carboro, North Carolina. And she did something radical. She orders off the menu and says to the waiter, can you just put some collards, some black-eyed peas, and some mashed potatoes on a plate and make it look nice? And I'm getting the pork chop, and I'm just like, who is this person?
0: Yeah, and what, what year was this?
1: That was 2012.
0: Okay. And it still was like a little, like ordering a plant-based meal was not as normalized as it is now back in 2012. Well,
1: and I think it depends on where you live, right? Like I'm in, I'm in the barbecue capital of the world. Like this, the, the, uh, the the home for sausages in the United States is like 20 minutes from where I'm talking about right now. Right?
0: Yeah. So her order was a little bit out of left field for you.
1: It was out of left field. And I had never been around anyone like this for myself. This was not a priority for me. I was not interested in being vegan or around people who are plant-based. But what I did see is that just observation. I'm just like looking at this person who's sitting with me at dinner. And she is enjoying her food. She is cleaning her plate. She looks amazing. Her health appears to be effortless. Meanwhile, I'm over here struggling. And we finished dinner. And she's like, what else are we going to do? Let's go have some fun. Let's do round two. And I'm just like, I need to go home and put on some sweatpants. Uh-huh. I'm hungover, <laughs> right? So it um, was enough to plant just this little seed in my mind. So just a little seed. Maybe the food that you were raised on, maybe the food that you love is actually causing harm to you.
0: So, with the time, when you went on the date, was she vegan or she just liked to eat healthy?
1: My wife has not consumed meat since she was five years old. Okay, she she found she is a um, uh, a dedicated lover of animals, and when she was five, she discovered how they kill the cows, and she she actually transformed her parents.
0: Wow, that's you don't hear that very often. Yeah
1: because that a lot was of the, like 1989
0: yeah you de- and you definitely don't hear about it you know back then i i feel like also either, there are like two types of kids some kids that really make that connection early on and you you see those early vegetarians and then on the other hand kids have no idea where their food comes from because they see a chicken nugget that's in a perfect little package from the grocery store and they don't know that it was once an animal they have no idea
1: Well, and I think we, I think we get get conditioned to not think about it and we don't want to think about it because those are, those are dirty feelings. Um, But, you know, if we were more connected to our food, right, where you couldn't just like have someone else do that work and then you show up and buy the product, if you were the person who had to go out back and grab the chicken, you probably would feel very different about it.
0: A hundred percent. So at the time you're your now wife kind of planted this seed that, you know, there's this other world of, of eating healthy out there. And then so so did you start making changes at home then based on what you saw?
1: So I was not a chef. I was a single male in his early 30s. Um, I still needed convenience. I was still working very hard. I was still in my medical training. And I uh, made the decision that instead of going to Hardy's where I could get about 2,500 calories for $5 that I would divert home and pull out the blender. And so I just like literally pulled out the blender and I threw some stuff in there and I pressed the button and it was like 30 ounces of big green smoothie and I drank it and I instantly felt energized. I felt like Like I know like weighted blankets are very in right now, but like I felt like this weighted blanket that had been holding me back was being lifted and I went to the gym and I smashed a great workout and this was enough, just that feeling of like my body feels like it's receiving something that's been missing. It brought me back for another day and I started to repeat this. And I started doing smoothies for dinner, probably like five or six nights a week. And then like it became very normal. And then I moved on to a new goal and these were small choices. This was nothing radical. Um, I did not take a plunge nor did I have any sort of label for my diet. I was just making small changes, but they were like, the results were adding up. My skin started to clear within days. My hair grew thicker and over the course of months these health-related goals that i had that i could not accomplish start falling into place in a very effortless way changed my life
0: and so at the same time you're still in medical school how much nutrition are they teaching you are are you learning about that are you when you're in the hospital and you're you know seeing Patients and and people coming in with gastrointestinal issues, are they advising these patients and people on on their diet? Like, how was it? Because at home, you're learning about, you know, food yourself and how it's making you feel amazing. But then at the same time, you're in this hospital setting where maybe, you know, what were they preaching over there?
1: Well, I mean, you could go down to the cafeteria and get Chick-fil-A for lunch while you're in the hospital, right? The food that's being served to the patients is like incredibly unhealthy food. Um, and, you know, my medical education on nutrition was so again, like I started medical school in 2002. We're talking 20 years ago. And in 2003, I had a two week course on nutrition. But this was not, hey, how do you talk to your patients about the advantages and disadvantages of, say, a Mediterranean diet versus a keto diet versus a plant based diet? That's not what I was taught. I was taught, okay, if you have a vitamin B6 deficiency, which you will probably never see in your entire career. What are the five symptoms of a vitamin B6 deficiency? That is not practical knowledge. And so, you know, most of my education and training was in a hospital. And when you're in a hospital, I'm just gonna be honest, as a doctor, we're not thinking about nutrition. We're like, what do I need to do to keep this person alive? (laughs) And Could nutrition play a role in the hospital setting? Yes, but actually the true role of nutrition is not when like you are teetering on the verge of collapse. The true role is day to day.
0: It's preventative.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, I didn't know anything about it, but it changed my life. And that was enough to motivate me because I care deeply about my work, my job, as a medical doctor is to provide the best care possible. And I take that, it's very personal. That's like, this is my legacy. This is who I am. And so I would work during the day, like, because I had this radical transformation, I would work during the day and then I would go home and I would voraciously consume nutritional research and then I would bring it into the clinic the next day and, and share it with my patients. And as a gastroenterologist, I have people with irritable bowel syndrome that like their quality of life is massively improving. I have people with ulcerative colitis who are going into remission. I have people with acid reflux that are throwing their pills in the, in the trash can. And their transformation is different than mine, but it is equally radical. And it led me, Danielle, to a place where fast, like, accelerating forward for a few years in 2016, I felt compelled to share this story. There was no end game. It wasn't like, hey, if I share the story, I could somehow or someday become this. No, it was just like, I'm in this clinic. I'm one-on-one and this is not good enough. The entire world deserves to hear about this and they're not hearing about this. So I took to social media and started my Instagram account. And that was really the start of the process that led me to, I mean, honestly, being here with you today.
0: So at this point, are you do you have your own practice? Are you a, a partner in a practice when you first started your Instagram?
1: Um, so I uh I finished my training in 2014. I went into practice in Savannah, Georgia for two years. My wife is from Charleston, South Carolina, and we love Charleston. So we knew this is where we wanted to ultimately set up shop and and raise our family. We moved to Charleston in 2016. I started with a new private practice with two other doctors. And um, that's when I started my social media account, when I moved to Charleston in in the summer of 2016.
0: And I feel like at the time, there wasn't much you know, uh, there, there weren't as many doctors sharing information about nutrition back in 2016. So you must've been one of the first.
1: Um, I don't know if I was, all I know is this. <laughs> I, people didn't really care. I'll just be honest. People didn't really care for a very long period of time. Um, I, and that might be in retrospect, people might look at my life and these great things that have happened for me as a result of this social media account and say, well, of course, like, you know, if they don't care, you just keep doing it because at some point it's going to pay off for you. I, 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 I didn't see it necessarily that way. Um, I was just working very hard. It would take me, you know, two hours to put together a social media post. And it's like, I've worked all day as a doctor. I'm tired. I have kids. And spending two hours on a social media post, I would rather relax. But I was doing it because I felt compelled to do it. And it took me a long time to get any traction where people were actually very interested in what I was saying. Um, Until the summer of 2018, two years later, I did a podcast with Simon Hill from uh, The Proof, formerly known as Plant Proof. And his show was brand new at the time. We did not know each other. He's from Australia. I'm from the United States, but we basically recorded together, and people freaked out. Um, this episode went viral, and he and I like shared this experience of friends telling friends, and it sort of spreading across the globe. And it brought us together and made us great friends. He's now one of my best friends. I but love it also that it's really cool. I mean, that is the power of the internet is that you can create, you can find the best friend in Australia, uh, you know, in your late (laughs) thirties, you know, that you would never even meet if the internet didn't exist. And so at the same time, like I felt like there's this energy, like people are freaking out. What can I do to bottle this up? And so I started talking about this to my wife and she goes, yeah, she's like, it's obvious you need to write a book. She's like, i f- I felt this way for six months now. Here, here's a list of 10 literary agents that you need to reach out to. And so um, so that I started that process in in the sort of late summer of 2018. And my book came out in May of 2020. My book was fiber fueled and uh, made the New York Times bestseller list. And now here we are, and I'm excited. I'm launching my second book, the Fiber fields Cookbook. And Fiber Fueled, my first book, has sold 200,000 copies. So it's just been crazy.
0: It's incredible. So your first book did amazingly well. You you have your new cookbook, which I got my copy of, and it is stunning. The recipes all look amazing. They're all 100% plant-based, but they are fiber-fueled. Can you explain why fiber is so important for gut health and overall health?
1: Yeah, um, this is this is the the drum that I'm out there pounding. I if I could do one thing, it would be to get this message out to people because I think they need to hear this. So first of all, uh, let's create a frame of context. If you and I, Danielle, walk out into the street in our communities, 19 out of 20 people that we come into contact with are deficient in fiber right now. The recommended amount for women is 25 grams a day, and the average woman in the United States is getting about 16. The recommended amount for a man is 38 grams of fiber, and the average man is getting about 18 grams of fiber, less than half of the recommended amount. And so fiber, though, we have like sort of inappropriately labeled as this boring thing where grandma stirs the orange drink so that she can have a bowel movement. But there's this new science with the gut microbiome that has emerged in recent years that is completely transforming our vision of fiber. It's changing from the boring thing into this is like the bell of the ball. This is the most exciting thing in all of nutrition. Because when you consume fiber, by the way, fiber is not hard to find. All plants contain fiber. If you're eating a plant, you are consuming fiber. And there's one exception to this. Mushrooms technically are not, not plants. I think of them as plants, but they're not. They're fungi and they contain fiber too. So when you eat plants, you consume fiber. Fiber is a part of the plant, it's actually a carbohydrate. But we as humans lack the enzymes to break down fiber, which is why many people will say, oh, it just sweeps through, it doesn't do anything. That's not true. Fiber passes through your small intestine unchanged where it arrives into your colon. And in your colon is where you will find the most concentrated source of microbes, your gut microbiome in your entire body. There's about 38 trillion microbes, mostly bacteria that are alive inside your large intestine. And they're there right now. And fiber is their preferred food. When fiber enters the colon, they get into a feeding frenzy. They get to eat. They have the enzymes that we lack. These microbes actually add abilities to what we are capable of as humans because they break down the fiber. They consume it, they grow stronger, and then they transform it. It stops being fiber and it turns into the most healing Most anti-inflammatory compounds that I've come across, Danielle, in my 20 years of study in medicine. The short chain fatty acids. The main one that people have heard about is butyrate, but there's also acetate and propionate. And these short chain fatty acids have massive healing effects throughout the entire body. There was a review of dietary fiber. So just to kind of share my one study, this is my number one study on dietary fiber. Uh, published in The Lancet in 2019, the author was Andrew Reynolds. And basically he did what's called a systematic review and meta-analysis of dietary fiber. He compiled all of the available data, the studies that say that fiber is great, the studies that say that fiber is worthless. He pulled it all together into one place so that we could conduct an analysis to see what does dietary fiber actually do for humans. Here's what he found. When you consume more dietary fiber, you are less likely to have a heart attack. You are less likely to die of heart disease. That's our number one killer. You are less likely to be diagnosed with breast cancer, the number one cause of cancer death in women, colon cancer, the number two cause of cancer death in America, esophageal cancer, a cancer that has increased tenfold in the last 50 years. You are less likely to die of cancer, our number two killer. You are less likely to have a stroke, our number five killer. You are less likely to be diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, our number seven killer. People who consume more dietary fiber live longer with less disease. So, I don't understand why our news agencies are not shouting this from the rooftops at the American public on a daily basis given the health-related crises that we have in our country and the amount that we spend on healthcare, when quite simply, if we took the 95% of Americans who are deficient in fiber and allowed them to eat to support their gut microbiome with a not necessarily even high-fiber diet, but more fiber, enough fiber, if we could take them there, we would significantly reduce our burden of disease in the United States, and it would be a major victory for us as a country.
0: I think also at the same time <laughs> mic drop I love the whole thing I'm I'm a big fiber gal I've been preaching to eat more fiber for years and I think also I mean correct me if I'm wrong but I think at the same time when you're eating foods with fiber you're eating whole plant foods but those foods are also giving you antioxidants and and other nutrients that that are great for fighting diseases so you're getting this entire package of anti-inflammatory uh, foods and properties and like when you eat um an apple yes you get fiber but you're also getting antioxidants and you're getting some vitamin c and whatever i mean i just think that fiber also comes with so many other great things
1: that's a great point i think you're 100 correct there's three major types of prebiotics Um, Prebiotic is a word that if you haven't heard, you you need to get to know because you're going to see this literally in your supermarket. And it means food for the gut microbiome that provides benefits to human health. In other words, when you feed these microbes, they can make us better humans. And there's three major types of prebiotics. One is fiber. One is resistant starches. And the third are polyphenols, which are the compounds that give our foods color. Plant foods have almost a monopoly, not a complete monopoly, but almost a monopoly on the prebiotic foods to support a healthy gut microbiome. And as you said, Danielle, it includes the polyphenols, but it also includes all these other phytochemicals. Phytochemical means it comes from plants. You will only find it in plants. And these compounds have health uh, related benefits as well. So, you know, in essence, what you are doing when you consume plants is you are fueling your gut microbiome, but you are simultaneously nourishing your body with all the vitamins, minerals, and phytochemicals that you need to reduce inflammation and support healthy humans with the longevity.
0: Exactly. So that, that was my point, but you explained it a little bit better. So would you agree with that fiber guideline of women getting uh, 25 grams and men getting 38? Or would you... um personally recommend higher?
1: I actually recommend that we pivot and go in a different direction. So this may sound bizarre, um, but I I think that these numbers should be higher. There's no question, to answer your question. We we should be doing more than 25 for women, more than 38 for men. But I also believe that rather than focusing on grams of fiber, which leads you to feel like, hey, if I just eat enough kale, or if I take that fiber supplement, I can get to this magic number. But instead, the game has changed. It's not just grams of fiber. It's varieties of plants. Every single plant has its own unique types of fiber, and as you mentioned, Danielle, unique nutrients like phytochemicals and polyphenols. Every single plant has strengths that it wants to offer to your body. And when we eat a wide variety of plants, we are creating a dietary pattern for ourselves that actually supports the healthiest gut microbiome possible. And that's not just an idea that I'm kicking around. This is actually validated by clinical research in the American Gut Project where they had more than 11,000 individual people from across the globe. They found that there was one single independent predictor of a healthy gut microbiome. And that was the diversity of plants in your diet. People who ate at least 30 different plants had the healthiest guts. If you focus on eating a variety of plants, you will achieve your fiber goals. But you'll simultaneously be nourishing your body in the best way possible.
0: That makes sense, and I think that helps maybe not to overwhelm people because you do hear that number, oh, 25 grams, well, I don't even know what that means, and I don't feel like adding things up into my fitness pal and worrying about that, so I think that's a really good tip to just focus on making sure that each meal has a balance of different plant-based foods and having a wide variety. So let's talk about when someone goes to the grocery store, what should be in everyone's cart?
1: Um, all right. Well, my general philosophy is about abundance. So when you walk into the supermarket, I want you to hear me like I'm on your shoulder and I'm whispering in your ear, diversity of plants, diversity of plants, diversity of plants. I want you to try new ones that you haven't tried in a while. I want you to mix things up and break out of your habits of the same stuff every time. At the same time, um, you are not going to, let's just be, you know, pragmatic about this. You are not going to eat the exact same proportions of every single food. That's not possible. You are going to have preferences. That's okay. We welcome that. And I created an acronym that makes it easy for me to remember where my priorities are. This is what works for me. The acronym is F-GOALS, F Goals. F is in fiber, F Goals. So just to run through this real quick F stands for fruit and fermented foods. G stands for greens and whole grains. O stands for omega-3 super seeds. That's chia, flax, hemp. A stands for aromatics. So like garlic, onions, weeks, shallots. L stands for legumes. And then S, I kind of lost my mind. I had a lot to say, so (laughs) I squeezed it into the last letter. Shrooms, as in mushrooms, not like the hallucinogenics, Uh, mushrooms, seaweed or sea vegetables. And then finally, um, sulforaphane, or it's another way for me to say broccoli sprouts. So these are my foundational foods. And then I just kind of expand from there.
0: Okay. So I think that's a very helpful acronym. So if someone uses that and kind of builds their cart based on those recommendations, would you say that that would help to start optimizing their gut health?
1: Oh yeah. Honestly, if you want to start optimizing your gut health, let me make this even more simple than F goals. Cause F goals has, I believe, 10 different types of plants. Okay. Let me make it even more simple. Legumes and whole grains. That's it. Like the, like that is the foundation of the uh, healthiest diets in the world. It's not complicated. It's not expensive. And it can be adapted to whatever your flavor profile preferences are. If you go to India, you're creating curries out of whole grains and legumes. If you go to Japan, you have edamame and you have brown rice. If you go to um costa rica it's beans and rice and then you're adding whatever else to the dish right this is the backbone of the diets and the healthiest people around the world this is what they're eating in the blue zones whole grains and legumes that's where you start
0: can you say your
1: favorite
0: uh whole grain and your favorite legume
1: oh man i want to hear from you too so i'm going to turn it back on you but um i love farro I love farro. It's the perfect texture. The flavor is good, just like a little bit nutty. I made it um, yesterday. But really? I did. I uh, love it. And,
0: and yeah, so good. It's like barley mixed with brown rice.
1: Yeah. And, um, and, and so delicious. And then let's see, legumes. It's tough because I I love a lot of legumes, but if I'm ch- if I'm forced to choose just one, I mean, gosh, I love chickpeas. They're so good, and you can make hummus out of them. Same. What do what do you have? What are your preferences, Danielle? What do you like? Uh,
0: it, it's hard to choose because I really I love so many whole grains and beans. I would say if we're talking like purely. Based on like nutritional density, I would say lentils. Um, just comparing the nutrition facts of lentils to like black beans and chickpeas, I find that the protein is higher and the fiber is higher. But I love the versatility of chickpeas. Again, love that you can make them into brownies, hummus. I make pasta sauces with chickpeas. I buy po- chickpea pasta itself. I just think there's so many things you can do with it. Um, but yeah. I, th- I think lentils in terms of the nutrition and then whole grain. I really love them all. I know quinoa is a seed, but I like quinoa. I feel like sometimes I think of quinoa as a grain, but I it's do too. technically it's a, a seed, right? It's a right? pseudo grain. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, it's technically a pseudo yeah. grain, so it's not technically, but I still count it. I still count it. It's very high in fiber. Okay. Um, It's really good for you. It's actually very high in protein. And so I I think quinoa is a great choice. I think it's a great choice.
0: Love it. Love quinoa.
1: What's
0: your opinion? What's your opinion though on brown rice versus white rice?
1: Um, all right. So it's it's a complicated issue. I tend to not do a ton of rice. I'm not like I'm not actively avoiding it. I'm not like, oh, rice is bad for you. But I also don't think that we should of all the whole grain choices that we have, I don't think that rice should be the backbone or the top choice. So now the issue with white rice, of course, is that they are basically stripping many of the nutrients in basically turning it into white rice. Um, So in doing that, they're also reducing the fiber content. And the brown rice, the problem has been that it appears to accumulate heavy metals like arsenic on a slightly higher level. I don't have this fear that like, oh my gosh, we're going to start like destroying our health by consuming brown rice. Um, But at the same time, again, like I think that we have so many other great options out there, like some of the ones that you and I have been discussing. That it's totally like I I don't hesitate to consume brown rice once in a while at all. I just also don't choose to make it the backbone of my whole grain consumption. That's all.
0: I also feel like other whole grains have a lot more bang for your buck, like a quinoa, a farro. Like they have more fiber and protein than brown rice. So you might as well. Yeah, they do. Get some yeah you might as well you know eat the ones that have more nutrients
1: sorghum sorghum's fine protein sorghum is like a fa- fantastically delicious whole grain you know I, I think part of it is like kind of trying new stuff getting out there this is the diversity of plants concept you have choices and you could go to the one that you always get but why not try something new uh, out of curiosity danielle have you ever sprouted lentils before
0: I have not sprouted lentils myself. I'm I'm okay, I'm like not the crunchiest vegan, but I I would try. I'm I'm so into doing things that save me time and I'm just so busy that I feel like I'm more of a convenience vegan like I'll buy yeah. um like quinoa where you heat it up in the microwave just cuz I have 2 minutes to make lunch. Um but yeah. that sounds really fun. Tell me more.
1: Okay. So first of all, I get it and I'm with you and I will do that too. Some of my most delicious meals are like literally quinoa that I microwave and throwing some black beans on top that I don't even cook. I just put them on straight out of the can and then like adding, okay, like we're going to make this a Mexican bowl. So avocado and some red onion and definitely get out like the nice hot sauce that I love, right? Some cilantro. Um,
0: yeah, that's like, that's like my lunch every day.
1: And it's a, and it's a delicious lunch and it's not, anyone can do that. You know, is this, this is just, it's so easy and it's just a a matter of like teaching people and putting this into the repertoire so that they realize like plant-based eating doesn't have to be complex. It can be quite simply this, you know? So, uh, all right. I want to get you sprouting i want to get you sprouting one of the things in my new book the Fiber Fields cookbook is i teach people how to sprout now i think that sprouts should be a part of like every kitchen because what's exciting is that it is the most nutritious food like there is something special in nature that takes place when a seed or a legume germinates and that's what you're catching with the sprout you're catching the very early life of this plant filled with extra vitamins and nutrients and fiber and protein um it's also wildly accessible meaning that you can buy non-perishable legumes or seeds that you keep in your shelf for a year and you just pull them out when you need them and you sprout them and also it's inexpensive like we talk about making organic produce available it's hard But this is organic produce that's available. You can grow a garden on your counter. And with lentils, the reason why I asked is like, it's the best place to start for people who are novice sprouters because it's so easy. It takes three days and you will go, if you start with a half of a cup of lentils in three days, you will have four cups of lentil sprouts. Wow. And you and you don't even need to cook them if you don't want to. You can cook them, but you don't have to. You can literally eat them as a snack right there. Do you um, put them on so a salad? I put them in a salad. I throw them into soups, into stews or chili, um, or however you like to use your lentils, right? If you're doing a curry, like boom, get the lentils in there. So but I've heard that yeah. Uh,
0: I've heard that sprouted grains and legumes are easier to digest. Is that true
1: they are yeah they are and there's also so they're 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 easier to digest they're higher in nutritional quality like that may sound hard to believe because we're talking about super healthy food at baseline but they are higher in protein higher in fiber higher in vitamins and minerals and in many cases here's what's cool they'll have medicinal properties so as an example In my new book, The Fiber Fields Cookbook, I take on the challenge because it is a nuanced, challenging topic. I take on the challenge of histamine intolerance. And one of the solutions to histamine intolerance is to sprout peas. Specifically to sprout peas. This is so weird and interesting. In the dark. Because when you sprout them in the dark, whatever that does, it like brings out the best in your sprouted peas and they create this enzyme again like this is this is I'm not talking about a pill I'm talking about sprouted peas they create an enzyme called DAO diamine oxidase well DAO is exactly the enzyme that we need in order to break down histamine in our body and overcome our histamine intolerance so you can sprout peas like you could go and buy a histamine intolerance supplement and it's derived from the kidneys of a pig and it costs a ridiculous amount of money or you can sprout some peas and just eat those with your meal and they actually are much higher in DAO than, this, than, the, than the pig kidney is. <laughs> it's fascinating.
0: Okay, well, I'm gonna be sprouting and I'm going to update you <laughs> on, the, on the process.
1: Let me know- And I guess if people I, I wanna, wanna learn either, like,
0: about sprouting, If people want to learn about sprouting, they can get your new book.
1: You can get the new book. I have Instagram lives that I've done with Doug Evans, where I'll teach you how to sprout just by watching the live. You don't have to buy the book if you don't want to. Um, I think the book takes it obviously to a higher level because I can give structured information, but and uh, Danielle, if you need advice on like which supplies to purchase, I'm happy to like set you up with the links to get those. And you could even share them in the show notes if you want to, if people want to try this.
0: Great idea. We're gonna do that. So all the sprouting info is going to be in the show notes. Um, Perfect. Let's talk constipation just for a second because we did uh, a few minutes ago, but I feel like it is just such an issue. So, does someone who finds themselves constipated, well, first of all, what what would your definition of constipated be? Like going to the bathroom three times a week, or just like not every day?
1: So it's interesting, uh, even as a medical doctor, I would have defined constipation the way that you're describing, which is like, how often do you go? But as a gastroenterologist, I actually don't worry so much about that. I mean, okay, let me say this. If you poop once a week, you're constipated. There is no doubt. If you poop once a week, you're constipated.
0: It's pretty obvious. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's pretty obvious. But there is so much more to constipation than how often you go because there are people who I'm sure are listening to us right now who poop every day and they are constipated and they just don't realize it. So the definition from my perspective is that constipation is the manifestation of symptoms that you don't want. And it happens because you are inadequately evacuating your colon. Inadequate evacuation of your colon could be infrequency. But it could also be that when you poop, you're not really emptying. And so many people who are constipated and they don't even realize it, when you dig into the details with them, you say, do you feel like you completely empty when you go? They say no. And then when that is true, many times these people, particularly if they're manifesting gas and bloating, gas and bloating is the number one symptom of constipation. There are many other possible symptoms, but the one that literally every patient who's constipated is going to have is gas and bloating. And if if you have gas and bloating and you're not sure why, but you feel like you're not completely emptying when you go, you are probably constipated. You just don't realize it.
0: Okay so what i'm hearing from you is that when you go to the bathroom your bowel movement should also like look a certain way and we're i mean this is like already like we're gonna be like tmi here and just be very open because you're a poop doctor what should everyone's poop look like
1: okay so first of all i'm gonna apologize to the crowd because I feel way too comfortable talking about this stuff. And I can tell like you're it's like, okay. you're not, you don't spend hours of your life talking about bowel movements the way that I do. This is like literally, literally what I've done for a living. So maybe with my right. best
0: friends, but well, I guess yeah. we're We're talking to the, we're, t- we're talking to the healthy girl community. We, we can be open with everyone.
1: And it's such an important topic because so like if we're going to like for look sure. at, you know, if we're going to look at blood pressure and heart rate and other vital signs, if our gut microbiome is important to our health, which I wholeheartedly believe that it is, the window into what's happening with your gut microbiome is your bowel movement. This is actually giving us like information about what's going on with your body, with your gut health. What do we look for? Okay, there's actually... Uh, something that is called the Bristol Stool Scale. We could share an image. We could also, you can Google this, Bristol, B-R-I-S-T-O-L. And it's basically breaking down bowel movements into seven types, type one through type seven. Now, type four is like the classic, like Dr. B is super proud and excited for you because it is a sausage-shaped bowel movement nice and smooth and when you release this with like a good healthy evacuation you feel like a complete release and i'm just gonna say it you feel really good that's where you're supposed to be and when we deviate towards types three type two type one we are moving towards constipation a type one bowel movement to kind of frame this is like a hard ball of stool that's severe constipation. And when we get above type four and we move into five, six, and seven, we are moving towards diarrhea. And of course, a type seven bowel movement is just liquid. It's just liquid. There's no shape to it. But this uh, Bristol stool scale gives you the perspective on different forms of bowel movements and what they may indicate is happening with your body. And it's worth saying, Danielle, that we have shown through clinical research. So Bristol stool scale has been around for a very long time, but we have since demonstrated that the Bristol stool scale actually gives you intel on your gut microbiome. There's different things happening with your gut microbes based upon which type you have.
0: So interesting. So also what I'm hearing from you is that there shouldn't be any kind of strain when you're going to the bathroom. There should be an ease.
1: Yeah. And Like I I don't know how much the listening, uh, the healthy girl listening crowd is going to relate to this because it's actually very common for people to struggle with these issues. Uh, But bowel movements are not supposed to be challenging. They're intended. They're they're supposed to be effortless um, and feel very natural, feel complete, and also there's a sense of euphoria at the end. And when that, (laughs) I feel
0: like. I feel like your next book should be your poop your poop should be effortless,
1: <laughs> yeah uh so it's true like this is the way that this is the way that it's intended to occur, but the problem is that like when it's out of rhythm, when it requires tremendous effort, when it feels unnatural, and when you are dreading the bathroom, like you are not looking forward to going in there as opposed to the person who is looking forward to going in there. Uh, You're not where you need to be. And we have work to do.
0: Okay. And we've been talking about how to fix that. And that's one, eat more plants, which, and then two, eat more fiber. But if you're eating more plants, you're getting more fiber.
1: Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, These are complex, nuanced topics. And so, like we hear that fiber is categorically good for constipation. That narrative is not actually completely true. So it's a little bit nuanced. If you have mild constipation, by mild, what I mean is like it comes and it goes, it's not an everyday thing or most days type of thing. You increase your fiber, you increase your water consumption, You do a little exercise, which frankly could be as simple as taking a walk around your neighborhood, and you will poop, and you will feel better. But when people get to moderate or severe constipation, here's the thing that they need to understand. Pouring the fiber onto a backed up colon can actually make you feel worse. And that's because fiber is meant to move through. And when it is moving through, it is your friend and it is helping you to have good, healthy, regular bowel movements. But when it gets gridlocked, when it gets locked up, fiber will sit there and it will turn into gas. And you will feel worse. How do we disrupt this? How do we fix it? The solution is to get you pooping. How can we get you pooping? This is, a, again, a like uh, I can't in two minutes download, you know, 20 years of medical education to everyone, but I can do my best. A great place to start can be with magnesium. Magnesium is a supplement. It's it's a mineral. It's natural. We need it. Even those of us who consume a very healthy diet, Danielle, in today's world, we seem to pop up magnesium deficient in many cases you can have it checked with your doctor. You can see where you are before you consider doing this supplement. But I find that most people are low and then they take a magnesium supplement. And again, don't do this because you heard Dr. B on a podcast. Talk to your healthcare provider about this. But the three types of magnesium that I want you to be aware of are magnesium oxide, magnesium citrate, and magnesium sulfate typically taken before bedtime and if you take the magnesium it may help to get things moving and back into a rhythm and once you get things moving and back into a rhythm now the fiber becomes your friend and it helps you to keep you know even more rhythm and even healthier bowel movements so that's the sort of challenge and nuance of fiber and it's one of the things that i talk about in my new book the fiber fields cookbook
0: that makes so much sense. So I have a couple more like rapid fire questions for you. I mean, Let's I'm sure it. we could we, we could talk about each question for hours, but I I want to make sure we get to everything. <laughs> what are okay. three tips, three tips you have for bloating?
1: Uh number one, get pooping. All right. So if you're constipated, you have to start moving those bowels. That's the number one tip. You will fix the bloating immediately. Number two, make sure that you have had appropriate testing for other medical conditions. Um, There are things that I talk about in my new book, like celiac disease or sucrase, which is a digestive enzyme, sucrase deficiency. All right, so you have to do those things because if you have one of them, that's how you fix your problem. And then number three, is to train your gut and that's what the new book the Fiber Fields cookbook is all about is helping you to take what is a food intolerance where you are not tolerating a food well and it's causing bloating or gas and training your gut so that it becomes efficient and strong and more capable of handling your food
0: and what are there like I don't know, maybe a couple supplements you would recommend for optimizing gut health?
1: Um, I'm a big believer in prebiotic fiber supplements. So I would be the first person to say that it should start with your diet. It should start with your diet, but I do believe that prebiotic fiber supplements can help. For people that are constipated, we talked about magnesium. Um, probiotics, they can help some people. There is no doubt that probiotics can help some people. Let's not dismiss them and act like there aren't people who are like tremendously benefiting from them. But they're just not my first thing that I go towards. And um, and then the last thing is peppermint. So if you have, like, for example, gas and bloating, you can drink peppermint tea. You can actually suck on peppermints. But you can also take peppermint supplements. And they can really help to soothe and relax the gut. They have this uh, sort of relaxing effect.
0: I love peppermint tea. That's a great tip. I also love doing ginger tea too.
1: Ginger tea, peppermint tea, fennel tea, um, chamomile. These are some of the options of things that have been shown to like make people. F- I, I'm a big fan of doing these teas because it's like, it's very well-hanging fruit. You eat a delicious meal and then you just kind of relax, rest, digest and have some tea and allow your body to catch up.
0: And what foods are harmful to the gut?
1: Um, okay. I would go with high saturated fat that by the way, includes coconut oil. I'm not saying you like need to eliminate it. I'm just saying like moderation, uh, ultra processed foods that includes sugars that includes artificial sweeteners. It also includes things that have had a lot of sort of uh, chemical exposure. Um, I would include alcohol, particularly when you drink to the point of having a hangover. The hangover is not dehydration. You have damaged your gut. That's why you're feeling hungover. You've taken it too far. Um, And uh, the other thing I guess I would say is I worry. So I believe in whole grains, but particularly when it comes to wheat, I prefer for it to be organic. And the reason why is because the wheat is sprayed with glyphosate to dry it out. and glyphosate, there is emerging evidence that is showing us it is causing harm to these microbes.
0: Okay, got it. So girls, if we're eating pizza, we're getting organic pizza.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> okay, does timing of meals matter?
1: It does. I think that my biggest concern, because people are like, should I eat breakfast? Should I not eat breakfast? How do you feel? I'll tell you how I feel. Um, I've done like, you know, time restricted eating protocols. But when I have like a really nice breakfast, example would be like a um, whole grain cereal with berries, like raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, hemp seeds chia seeds, walnuts, and then some plant milk like soy milk. I feel awesome when I have that for breakfast. If you feel good, don't hold back. Do it. All right? If you prefer to do time-restricted eating because you feel better, that's cool too. My big thing is don't eat late at night. Try to have an early dinner. To me, early dinner means before 8 p.m. And if you're going to have dessert, have your dessert. And then create a rule. No food, no alcohol after 8 p.m. So that you can give your body a chance to rest before you go to bed.
0: I'm always eating snacks in bed. I am like so bad at that. I especially love um, eating popcorn every night. It's my favorite snack, (laughs) but I eat it at like, like 9.30. I'm stuffing my face with popcorn.
1: I am guilty of the same thing. We're not not neither you nor I nor anyone else is perfect. We're all just doing our best.
0: Amen to that. And then what can you quickly say what you eat in a day?
1: Uh okay, so I just gave you breakfast, but another breakfast would be avocado yep. toast. Pro tip. Pro tip, extra virgin olive oil and balsamic vinegar on the toast before you add the avocado. DM me after you do this, it will blow your mind. Yeah. Right, uh, lunchtime, I tend to be, lunch is like salads a lot of times. And um, quite simply, I will, so I, I have a lettuce grow. I grow like, you know, a lot of greens. And I'll just throw some greens in a bowl and then I open up my fridge and whatever I have in there, it's going into this bowl. Balsamic vinegar, extra virgin olive oil, mix it up delicious, lots of varieties of plants. And then I kind of mentioned this earlier, but like our dinner, we are a normal family. We do not cook the way that you see in my cookbook. (laughs) Um, We do love the food, but we have specific meals on rotation. And so we will many times do like I described earlier where it's like a whole grain, a legume, make a bowl and then add in your additional ingredients. So like if it's a Mexican bowl, or like a deconstructed burrito bowl, you know, that could be quinoa, black beans, and then get your, you know, your cilantro, your avocado, your tomato, cherry tomatoes, uh, red onions. If you like the heat, you get the jalapenos going. Um, hot sauce, boom, delicious. I'm salivating right now talking about it.
0: Yum, we do, we do a similar dinner situation. Love doing like a build your own bowl. It's so fun. And then yeah. everyone can kind of choose what they like.
1: Yeah, totally. I think creating flexibility is, uh, I think, a great way to approach this.
0: And what is a wellness fad that you hate? I know you got one.
1: Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> well, I don't like atta- attacking anyone, but it's just not my style. But the the bone broth thing drives me crazy. Bone broth drives me crazy because there's no, there's literally zero evidence. So how did we even get here? How do we even get here other than like a YouTube echo chamber where someone started talking about this and then other people caught on and next thing you know everyone's talking about this on YouTube. There's zero evidence to say that bone bro- broth is good for your gut health. Zero. There is evidence that suggests that the the heavy metals that you will find in the bones of cows will get sucked into the bone broth. And then transfer it to your body. We obviously don't want that. And this is the motivating reason why I created Biome Broth. So in my first book, Fiber Fueled, Biome Broth was one recipe. And it's like the plant-based substitute for bone broth, which actually is good for your gut. Because it has fiber and polyphenols. And it was so popular that it's one of two recipes that I brought back in my new book. My new book has 125 recipes. There's two repeats. One is biome broth, but now I blew it up and there is seven varieties of biome broth in the new book. So,
0: I can't wait to make them. They sound amazing. And lastly, I mean, I have so many more questions for you, but we might just have to do a part two of this. Um, Where can everyone find you on social media?
1: Um, So you can can find me. me, My website is theplantfedgut.com. I have an email list that people seem to really enjoy because like when there's a breaking news gut health study that comes out, it's hard for me to actually put that onto Instagram because it usually doesn't fit very well the way I want to talk about it. So I will send an email out to my crew. So if you want to be part of my crew, join the email list. Um, I have my courses there. And then on social media, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook as the Gut Health MD.
0: Love it. And then how can everyone order your book?
1: My book is widely available. Um, if I'm allowed to offer my preference, if you choose to buy it, uh, thank you. I appreciate your support. And if I have a preference, I feel like there's these local bookshops that are owned by people that live in your community. It's like someone that you could know. And, um, you know, you have a choice, like you can give your $20 bill to the guy who owns Amazon, or you could give your $20 bill to someone who's in your neighborhood that needs your support. And so that to me is where my preference is, local bookshops, but, uh, frankly, you can buy it anywhere, wherever books, you know, are sold for you. And I thank you. I thank you for checking out my work.
0: Perfect. And I'll link it in the show notes too. Thank you so much for coming on. This was awesome. And we'll do it again.
1: Love it, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening and tuning in.
0: Thank you.